0: The one thing that I believe would work everywhere is fighting because it doesn't matter what color you are, what country you come from or what language you speak. We're all human beings and fighting's in our DNA, man. We get it and we like it. I'm Michael Morgan and welcome to the second episode this week of the Woke Cast. Coming back to the Woe Cast, the, the 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 myth The legend. She's... I mean, don't call it a comeback. She's been here for years. It's G from TV.
1: Yes, recognize I'm back. Hey, Mike. (laughs) How are you?
0: Well, I'm not as good as you, on the streets of DC, no less. So, I mean, break it down for our listeners. What are you doing in DC? Why are you actually, literally, on the streets of DC right now?
1: I am literally at the 2000 block of Connecticut Avenue because I am here for UFC DC media scrum and also whoop, 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 for yes and also for the boop, fight boop, on Saturday right boop 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 so <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> i need some sound effects in this. Some right. explosions some kind of like horns uh, gunshots and, or so, yeah
1: right <laughs> but yeah like um i'm back at it just like UFC mm. 244 so i'm on the ground and i'm here and i'll also be at the fight on Saturday so I've been a little
0: busy. Now, you know, all jokes aside, I I think, you know, we need a real moment of silence for Walt Harris, who, you know, was due to fight Alistair Overeem. Now, the fact is, um, we all know the tragic circumstances why he had to withdraw from that card. I have to say, having, you know, followed the story from the start and being really, really hopeful that, you know, there would be an alternative ending to this, it's a real sad outcome, and, you know, I have to say, the way in which Walt is actually dealing with this whole situation is with dignity and with grace, and, you know, he does show us an exemplary um, side in terms of, um, you know, how he's actually dealing with this, you know, he's, he's got to be commended on, you know, holding it together, so, you know, a moment of silence for Walt Harris and his entire family.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, the mood there in terms of the fact that, you know, I'm guessing the conversation has actually touched on, you know, what actually happened. How is the mood there? Or are we looking at um, a, a more sedate or somber event?
1: Well, during the media scrum, um, this uh, tragedy did come up quite often with the fighters because the media just wants to know how they feel, especially Overeem mm. and Rosenstroke. And also, I know they directed some of these questions to Ben Rothwell as well, you know, particularly folks in the heavyweight division. So um, overall, everyone was heartbroken. And especially um, Rosenstruck and also Overeem both stated that they have daughters. Overeem has three daughters and Rosenstruck has two. And both of them were just at a loss of words because they could not even imagine being in his shoes, being that they also have daughters. So they both said that if this had happened to them, they would be no good, you know, devastated, and that they would pull out as well. But overall, all of them just wanted to just, you know, support him and just show how, like, upset and sad they were and that they were here for him from the MMA community. And Ben Rothwell as well, you know, he... um, apparently is Christian so he did mention some prayers and and, you know he resorted to his faith and he said the sweetest thing you know that he just literally wants to give Walt Harris a hug and he wouldn't even say anything to him so it's Mm. we've had some touching moments in the media scrum in regards to the tragedy and Walt Harris
0: you know I, I know it's no consolation but I read I think it was either this morning or it was yesterday that this particular individual responsible for this heinous crime is facing the full extent of the law. And I'm, you know, I'm, 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 i suppose, torn on this, but I think justice will ultimately be served and it's going to be served with him actually losing his life. He's actually facing the death penalty for this.
1: I agree with you. I'm torn on my own thoughts of the death penalty, but I will say this. I'm former law enforcement and I support the state laws and if that is something that is supported in his you know in that law in that state rather then the state has to move forward with it and um, Mm. it's really just not my place to have an opinion about how I feel about the death penalty the state is going to move forward and he's done something heinous so he has to pay the price according to the state laws and that's what's going to happen and you know I won't shed a tear or feel any type of way about it especially if he he is found 100% guilty this isn't you know this isn't one of those like, oh, you know, there's evidence where, you know, we don't know if they're innocent or not. If this person is 100 percent guilty, then you play by the rules of the state. And, you know, that's that.
0: And, and that's why, you know, I, I hesitated there. And that's why I was, you know, initially torn. Um, because in all honesty, I don't know, um, you know, to what extent... Um, this is a now clear-cut case I don't know all the facts I know what I've read in the media and um, I, I know um, a lot of it I've been reading is from an emotive point of view right you know having you know having children myself I, I, I do feel exactly um, you know the emotions attached to this and how you know a lot of people are looking at this yeah as you know what effectively on the face it looks like a clear cut case but you know that is the thing that makes me feel torn in that let's just park this case just for a second in terms of the death penalty I do feel that you know there have been miscarriages of justice in the past there have been people who have been um, wrongly executed and just from what I've seen and from what I've read, disproportionately, it looks like it does affect a lot of African American individuals. Now, the fact is that we have to go on what we know right now. What we know is that this particular individual has been identified as the perpetrator, has been identified as the killer, and to that, well, to that extent, I really do feel his crime befits the yeah. death penalty.
1: yeah. Yeah, I I feel the same exact way that you do. The reason why I have an issue with the death penalty is because there's some innocent people that have been killed. And, you know, our justice system, no matter what country you come from, is flawed. And now we're playing with people's lives as far as who gets to say, you know, who gets to say, oh, you get to die by the hands of the law. And you could be innocent. And then we didn't always have DNA to prove people, you know, innocent and whatnot. It just gets kind of like murky for me. Because if, if, if we could just save one person from not dying and, and from the death penalty, I'm happy with that. But at the same time, <laughs> I'm torn because if all the evidence proves that this young man did this heinous crime and his yeah. state law state that he is due to die. I mean, I can't really stand in the way of that I'm not exactly going to protest and fight for this man's life. He took someone's life. So I, I'm, I'm torn. I can advocate against it. And I can also be like, well, those are the rules you know Mm. but um, I I can't say if he's guilty or not it's just I'm like you I'm doing a lot of reading it looks pretty bad on his part there's also some Mm. um, co-conspirators involved here and we just have to sort out all the evidence and hopefully let the justice system prevail and do what they need to do as, as far as prosecution and I, I firmly believe that they're, they're going to pay the price. There's just so much media attention to this. She's a beautiful young lady. Um, mm. Walt Harris has the backing of the UFC. They're going to move forward with this case and, and prosecute him to the fullest extent of the law. I firmly believe that.
0: Well, I, I really do hope, you know, justice is definitely served. You know, it's, it's one of those horrible, heinous um, crimes where, you know, if, like I say, 100%, it is him, you know, I feel that they're proceeding in the right way. And, you know, finally, you know, there will be justice in this. But, you know, moving away from that slightly, you know, it's a, it's a horrible topic to be um, dwelling on. And, um, you know, my thoughts go out to Walt and the rest of his family. But you're actually on scene for, well, Overeem is uh, going to be in a quite a massive clash, I feel. This guy has been on a uh, on a tear rosen streak, since he's been in the UFC he's dangerous and i feel that this is his his moment to shine this is basically a moment where he's going to be tested. I mean, what what's the thoughts on the ground there? I mean, first of all, let's deal with yours and you know how you're actually looking at this challenge and you know how you're looking at the matchup first up.
1: Well, initially when the fight was announced, I was um, a bird like everybody else on MMA Twitter. I was like, oh god, Overeem's going down again. You know, his his chin, mm. his chin. And then I had to calm down and really take things into perspective. And then now that I'm here on the ground, listening to both fighters. I, I think that um, Overeem is very well prepared for this young man, but at the same time, Rosenstruck's confidence is, is speaking to me here, and he's totally just.
0: just he's just to jump in there. You, you said that. You, you, you said that. Overeem's prepared for this. How is he prepared? Is is that a mental thing or has he moved camps yet again? Because I think that's part of the problem, the jumping from camp to camp, almost though, you know, he's bed hopping and he hasn't actually found his home. I mean, what is it that makes you feel, I mean, you're there on the ground, you've seen him speak, you've been speaking with him. Yeah. What is it that's made you feel, you know, he's definitely settled now, he's got his house in order. And um, he's prepared fully for this.
1: Well, he's stating that the camp that he's at right now, I don't have my notes in front of me, but he, the camp mm. that he's at right now is his home. And he plans to stay there. Is he there. with Jacksons? Um, I don't believe so. I, my notes are in my bag right now, so I don't have it in front of me. So I can't remember mm. the particular camp. But what did strike me was that he was adamant about... Um, saying that this particular camp where he's at, he's staying and he could see himself there for a while. So that answers your question about, you know, him finding a home. I just wish I knew the home off the top of my head. Excuse me, listeners. Yeah. Um, but like I said, is it I'm on the street, so is it, yeah.
0: Yeah. Is it stateside or is it is is he back in Europe?
1: No, he's stateside.
0: Oh, okay. So
1: he's stateside. He's enjoying his camp, um, and he's found a home. And secondly he just believes in his experience do you Mm -hmm. know like he's just like yes I understand that Rosenstruck is 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 a powerhouse right now he's got these um finishes and whatnot but I am an experienced vet and he's he's seen this before and he's learned from his um you know that devastating knockout from Francis Ngannou and if you think about it Francis and Rosenstruck were kind of they're kind of parallel they're similar to each other both of them are up and comers and knocking Mm. people out left and right as they met Overeem and you saw what happened when Overeem um (laughs) came out swinging for Francis he was the one that saw the the you know you know he got launched (laughs) and so I Mm. think he's like learned from that and then he's another one he's very quiet he's very confident he's it's like another day it's like a a day in you know in the park he's taking a walk and He's, he's not really perturbed by anything that um, Rosenstroke is going to bring to the table. And Rosenstroke, what. <laughs> what <laughs> he's, he really I, isn't. Like, he's just I'm calm, sorry. cool, and I, collective. I,
0: I, I've got to laugh because I don't know how anyone who had their chin touched in a manner that actually switched your button off can say that, you know, you're not worried about someone else who has KO power to actually launch you to the moon and back. I mean, it might be that he'll be waking up in Wakanda for this one. Because if you look at his past fight, he is a vet, as he rightly points out. But he's a vet in terms of how many times his chin has been touched. Now, I
1: believe it's 13 to 16 knockouts in his whole career. That, it's, it's between that, well, 13 and 16.
0: Mm, you can't train your chin for knockouts. And once your chin goes, it just takes a tap. It just takes a touch for you to be launched.
1: Well, but the funny thing is, Mike, this is my second media scrum, and I'm always the person that's like, what is your game plan? Like, tell me what mm-hmm. you're going to do. And they literally, they won't tell you. So what happens is, is that they reek of confidence, and you're just like, wow, what, what's the secret weapon? What, what do you have in your back pocket? And they won't tell you. Because I'm telling you right now, he reeks of confidence and he doesn't seem bothered at all. But me and you are thinking the same thing. Like, sir, you remember your chin? And what happened with Francis Ngannou? Are you not, yeah. you know, like, what are you going to do about that? And meanwhile, That's different. Rosenstruck is like, because I asked Rosenstruck myself. I said, are you prepared to grapple? Because there's a mm. there's a possibility that, you know, um, Overeem is going to just straight up grapple. You just never know. And he's an accomplished grappler. People don't realize that. They, they forget. And I asked Rosenstruck, are you prepared to grapple? And he turned to me and said, this is MMA. Of course I am. But he said, mm. I will grapple with him. But eventually, I am going to find his chin. So it's not like he, Rosenstruck said, oh, I'll submit him if he wants to take me to the ground. He's like, no, I, I'll, I'm prepared to grapple. But I will find his chin at some point. And that resonated with me.
0: I'm, I'm worried. i tell you why. Grappling's not hardwired for Alistair Overeen, Given his kickboxing background, given where he's come from in terms of K1, in terms of um, stand-up fighting, he is a stand-and-bang man. Of course. I don't see him uh, relying on his grappling or that being his go-to. I feel the game plan is to go in there and to outsmart, outbox, and try and get the KO before Rosenstruck does. Well, he better that's keep why his why shit because Exactly, because he never does. Right. Have you ever seen Overeen tuck his chin?
1: No, he actually it comes he comes straight forward and um,
0: Exactly. So,
1: and then you remember Francis Nagano, he kind of overextended a bit. And then Mm. also, too, as far as um, Alistair's um, grappling, he's not really the type to go in for, like, a takedown either. He kind of starts from the clinch. And I'm worried that if he goes in from the clinch with Rosenstruck, who can fight, you know, backpedaling or coming forward, but Mm. particularly backpedaling because he'll be in the clinch, that he could... Clip him with another, you know, jab like he did with you know his other opponents, like a Crowder, and then or, or maybe just even a a hook like he did with Arlaski. So it's like it's concerning a bit. But I will say this, Michael, I'm gonna believe it or not, I'm gonna put my money on Overeem. He sold me, and wow. I, yeah and I think he's a vet. I think I think he's carefully planned this, and his um experience is gonna is gonna get it done for him. I just think he That's learned a hard confident. lesson.
0: Mm, how confident are you in that bet? Are you willing, in the time-honored fashion, to put your bet against my bet because I'm going with Rosenstrup. Then we shall are do you, some push-ups. You, I, yes. Well, well, well let, let's do this. Let, let's let's uh, heighten the stakes, though. Why don't we go this time for thirty push-ups?
1: Ooh, all right.
0: How you like them apples? I like that.
1: That'll motivate me <laughs> when I get back in New York to start pushing and get my um, butt in the gym. I've been slacking, so yeah, uh-huh. not a problem. 30 push ups, okay.
0: Okay. Or press ups, as you like to say. We, <laughs> <laughs> now, in terms of the other um, runners and riders, those people who you had access to in terms of the scrums today. I mean, who else did you speak to and um, what was the flavor of the day?
1: Oh man, I had a very interesting conversation with Rob Font and I wanted mm. to interview him for the podcast so quickly and he agreed to, but he didn't have the time to. And the reason uh. why is because Cody Stamen is a, as a previous opponent he was supposed to fight. Cody came into the media scrum today talking big shit about Rob Font. He said he was a nobody. He was, you wow. know, he didn't. He, he, there was no reason why he needed to fight him. Nobody's talking mm. about Rob Font. Like, he went in. So, you mm. know, me, in, in woke-ass fashion causing trouble, slid right over to Rob mm. and was like, did you hear this? So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. I sure
1: did start clucking with Rob. And I was like, sir, did you hear this? Matter of fact, I tweeted about it. Let me read this to you. And I told yeah. him what he said. And he was like, oh, word. He was like, you know, if we have time, let's get get on the show and I'll put the word out. And he told me all types of deets that Cody is scared of him. And that mm-hmm. when their first fight pulled um, fell through, Cody pulled out. But when he tried to negotiate with his manager again, they had a whole bunch of excuses. So okay. Rob is kind of confused as to why when it was time to, you know, set this up again. He was dismissed, and they came up with all bunch of excuses, and oh, he wasn't ready, but oh, they're fighting on the same card. So Rob's like, if we're fighting different opponents on the same card, what's up Mm. with the excuses you gave me? And he was like, don't listen to him. He's scared of me. So if I can pull, if I can find him again while I'm here, we're going to discuss that even more. I think that's, you know, that's a woke-ass type of conversation, fighters beefing. Oh, definitely, (laughs)
0: definitely. You know our flavor. You know what we're, we're down oh, for. Oh, Mike, you I'm going to track him down. Exist. Yeah, I'm
1: going to track him down. I tried. After I finished the interview, I ran out in the hallway with this little recorder, and he was gone. So yeah. I'm going to keep ah, at it, though. Man. Hopefully. We'll keep our fingers crossed.
0: Okay. Who else we got on the bill? Who else Um, were you chewing the, chewing the fat with?
1: Um not too much going on with stefan struve and ben rothwell i didn't have an opportunity to speak to them one on one um
0: what's your what's your um take on him actually coming back after well first of all the health scare that he had let's just park that for a minute the fact is my guy said that he was done with the sport he had actually um, left his glove in the octagon and had for all intents and purposes. Retired. So what's your take on him actually coming back?
1: Well, according to him, he's still got that competitive spirit. And his cardiologist Mm. has given him the okay to go forward. And he was very honest during the media scrum when he said, I told my cardiologist, if I can't fight anymore, you need to say that. And that's fine. You're not. You you know what I mean? Like it's a reality of the situation. He also said that he's had this heart defect since he was, you know, born. So this is nothing Mm. new to him. So the cardiologist says he's fine. He still has a competitive nature and he's not really sure about a title run or. And he also did mention he doesn't want to be in the game as long as Overeem, who's 39 years old. But he's still Uh got some fighting spirit in him. He renegotiated his contract. I believe he has about three more and he's ready to get down and and just get out there and fight because it's it's just his nature.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they miss that, comp- that that competition. They they miss fighting and they come back, you know. OK. Yeah, yeah. Just so go ahead,
0: Mike. So it, it, it sounds like it was pretty busy down there. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask you, you're now actually. um, Well, this is your second media gig. What would you say are the real eye opening moments? Just, you know, being entrenched with the media that you've actually picked up. What are the things that you thought? whoa, I didn't know this goes down. I didn't know this happens. What are the things that you you wouldn't have actually um, appreciated being on the other side of the road?
1: That is so funny you say that because I have a quick and funny story for you. Mm. Um, Yeah, Tiago Santos is dating um, Yanni. I will not even try to say her last name. She's fighting Aspen Ladd that is his that is his woman so when she came in to do media he walked in right behind her so what did i do i got up made conversation with him and i also Mm. took a photo with him so immediately the staff was like hi um you are a journalist and you cannot take a photo with the fighters i was like wow Mm. really like i did not know that and plus he's not fighting on the card so i he's he's a spectator himself looking at his woman just giving media scrum and they just made it very known that you know journalists are not to take photos with fighters but I have no regrets because I told him before I walked away I was like man you know I'm a huge fan and I hope that you get your chance to beat John Jones again and he whispered mm. in my ear, Next year and I was pumped so it was worth wow. it was worth the scolding. <laughs> from the staff.
0: Okay. But that is
1: something that I did learn and then if I ever do another media scrum which I hope to do, there won't be any selfies or photos with the fighters.
0: Yeah. There is an element of um you are supposed to present a non-biased side. You're supposed to be non-biased in your reporting. And um obviously taking selfies with fighters Gives the impression that you are on one side of the fence rather than the other,
1: which Plus, which is crazy. Because I, I mean, Michael, I, I, I suppose, we're fans as mm. well,
0: you know. Oh, but but I suppose there's an unspoken code. Being a journalist, yes, it's okay to be a fan. It's okay to have um, it's okay to have fighters who you know you have a preference for. But in ter- <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of reporting, you have to present a balanced view, and and, uh, a balanced view is naturally obtained by actually putting yourself in the same camera lens as, unless you're actually interviewing, same camera lens and taking photos. So that's interesting you say that, but I was just intrigued from um, your point of view that for me, I think when I attend events, one of the frustrations is um, not being able to have one-on-one interviews with the fighters. In terms of the scrums that went down today, Did you have the opportunity to kind of like, um, first of all, get your questions in, but secondly, how frustrating was it? Because you've actually done one-on-ones, Dan, you've also done scrums. Which was your preference and how frustrating was it? Um, Well, if there was any frustration today, In being part of a scrum this time around.
1: Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because I am frustrated because I like media scrum, but I prefer one on ones for the podcast and also just to be able to sneak in some questions that you don't really want to ask in front of an audience. You know, like I I didn't want to ask Kevin Lee in front of like 10 other reporters, hey, what's it like being a black Mm. man in the UFC? That's like, you know, a personal one on one type of question. And I was unable to do so today because at this, uh, you know, media event for UFC DC they're not really giving us a chance to do one-on-ones like you literally have to run into the hallway and try to catch them because I had my eye on Rob Font and I also had my eye on Justin um, Buckholz of um, um, Cynthia Cavillo's um, trainer because he had made some Mm -hmm. uh, controversial comments about women fighters and I wanted to know if he wanted to discuss that but you can't do that in a media scrum. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and I wanted to give him a heads up. Like, feel free to not discuss this with me. It is a controversial tweet. You know, I wanted to be professional as possible, but try to lure him into discussing this with us. But it just wasn't the same atmosphere as UFC 244 where you get one on one. So I, yeah. I am a little disheartened with the way they set up this venue this time around. But I do have video footage, so that should be good. But the one-on-ones I was incapable of doing.
0: Mm. They tend to do scrums when either there is a long line of media waiting for interviews or where the media engagement not only is taking place in that building but on the phones, typically in other areas, either in the um, well in the UFC media office or in fighters' uh, hotel room. So it's typically that being the reason why they do media scrums. That's what I like I like the ambient noise Yay! Oh I
1: hate it I just like crouched in a corner Like shut up (laughs) Shut
0: up Shut up I'm recording (laughs) I hate it Love it You love
1: it But Mike Have you experienced that before I mean you've done more of these than me This is my only This is I'm still learning the rules I didn't even know I couldn't take a picture Mm. with them And secondly I totally expected one on ones Because I'm spoiled from UFC 244 media So have you experienced Where you just show up And you just have to do this in a group
0: yeah, I, I tend to try and stay away from media scrums because you're not getting anything exclusive. You're not getting anything which will add to your individual traction. If everybody's all going for the same material and everybody's getting yes. the same answers, it's basically um, dulling your um, opportunity to shine and your opportunity to take things off in a tangent where you know it's totally off the beaten track in terms of subject matter. But not only that, um, I suppose just going back to my whole experience of um, being part of the media and actually attending these events, um, it was kind of like, um, I suppose, what's the word I'm looking for? It was kind of uh, an an entrenched view of mine before I came into um, mixed martial arts and reporting on mixed martial arts that I was never going to be phased or never going to be starstruck. By any of the, the talent, because I came from an entertainment background where I'm right. dealing with people on red carpet. So I used to cover um, a lot of entertainment media. I used to do a lot of red carpet, so dealing with people like your um, Will Smiths, uh, your Samuel L. Jacksons, like your household. you accustomed A-list to it, names. yeah. So that for me, um, coming into mixed martial arts reporting and mixed martial arts media itself. Um, I was kind of like on the level where I was thinking, well, really and truly, I've kind of like not only been there, done that, like mixed of that type of media, but I've got a job to do. So yeah. I was quite mercenary coming from um, media in um, entertainment media, in that you had a deadline and you had um, objectives which you had to meet, which you can't do if you are actually hobnobbing or um, basically um, taking pictures and, and selfies and whatnot. So. Just as long as my objective is being met, uh, my job is being done. I mean, essentially, I started off working in entertainment media for outlets like the BBC, like um, the Voice newspaper in the UK. Um, so a lot, a lot of what I was doing was essentially mapped out for me right. in um, briefings and production meetings before I actually got to the venue. So I had objectives already set. Now, moving that over to Woj TV, I kind of like took that mentality and took that work ethic in that when you go to these scrums, when you go to these one-on-ones, when you go to um, media opportunities with fighters, you've got an objective and meeting those objectives is a priority. Yeah. So that's been kind of like my journey, really. Um, having come from that background, I've kind of like transform that or taking that over with me to MMA media and uh, MMA reporting.
1: You sound like an OG Mike unlike my rookie ass taking selfies and being a bird. <laughs> you know I was a bird back. I have bird moments I try my best because I don't get starstruck Mike it's weird but I mm. do get a little bit starstruck with MMA like in, in my oh, right. in my profession, when I get around celebrities, I don't give a shit. You know what I mean. Mm. <laughs> but like mm. Tiago Santos walks in, I want a picture with him. You know what I mean. And I also I wanna I wanted one on one so bad. I wanted to pull like somebody trainer Tiago, even people that weren't on the card. Like let's talk, let's get you on the wocast. And it was just so difficult yeah. with the group media scrum. You know, I was. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying myself and I'm very happy for the opportunity. But it's it's a. Very different from UFC 244. Very different.
0: I suppose the buzz for some people is a little bit different. Like, um, for a while back, I was working with ESPN, the stateside um, ESPN. Uh-huh. And we, well, I, I was actually flown um, around Europe by ESPN to report on these events. And for me, the buzz was actually seeing my content... On ESPN, co badged with Woe TV. Oh, that's that for nice. me was where I got the buzz. Yeah. I didn't really get a buzz of actually, and um, meeting individuals who, you know, for you know, some people are, are, are superstars to them. I got the buzz of actually creating authentic content, content where right. people could actually say, "Wow, this is amazing." That's where I got the buzz from.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I can just my little experience with the last interviews that i did with kevin lee and and whatnot i felt that buzz so i can understand that as well And then i was seeking oh, the go. buzz i was seeking mm. it like i was in the hallway like a like a crazy lady like hey can you talk real quick and then i had to go back and, and, and get video footage so it was this was a difficult scrum for me but i'm still having a good time and mike it's not over perhaps i can do some digging and and, and get somebody before i headed back to new york you know
0: We'll put it this way, we'll be keeping our eye on your Twitter feed just before we wrap up this episode, the all important details, because I take it there'll be more content coming, whether that be video, whether oh, that yeah. be audio, oh, yeah. whether that be tweets and whatnot, sharing your insight. So it's G from Woe TV on Twitter. You can get me at Mike Woe TV on Twitter too, if you wanted to continue any of the discussion, any of the topics which we've picked up here. It'd be great to discourse with you on Twitter.
1: Absolutely, yes. We got um, weigh-ins coming up and the actual fight, so I'll have more content on my page. So listen to Mike and just check me out and look for more stuff about UFC DC.
0: Tremendous. Well, until the next time we actually speak, which I understand that to be for the Monday edition, of, um, which is a massive edition, actually. When you think about it, UFC 245, there are a lot of talking points. That card is absolutely stacked. We're going to have a lot of, um, obviously, fallout from UFC DC yeah. to also discuss and, as well. So And we'll
1: wrap up UFC DC because we'll have the results of that main event, exactly. the co-main, and we'll wrap it up. And, and we'll see who's doing push-ups, and we'll talk about UFC 245, brother.
0: Exactly. Alongside Kairos and Jisanga Malata. So until next week, yeah. make some trouble.
1: Always, Mike. See you later.